Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today we're going live once again on Facebook and we've got Pat Calmerton on the show with us today. Pat Calmerton is a charter captain on Lake Michigan, and I'm going to let him tell kind of the rest of the story as far as what he does, where he's located, and, and what he's all about. Pat, first of all, welcome to the show, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on live here uh, with, with all of our audience. Hey, thanks, Chris. Uh, again, kind of recap on Chris's topic. My name is Patrick Calmerton. I'm a uh, USCG captain out of the Port of Sheboygan. Uh, it's family-owned business, Wolfpack Adventures. We have multiple boats up out of Sheboygan, Wisconsin. We have a couple of uh, walleye boats over on Winnebago, Green Bay. We also do a lot of uh, fly fishing. So this time of year, we, <laughs> we're busy. We're, we're running and gunning for walleye fishing. We are uh, hitting the Winnebago system. We're also up on the Bay of Green Bay. Uh, we are buffing and polishing boats as we speak to, to be able to splash them to get after it. You know, we're, we have a couple of the 21 foot boats that are, are fishing with skinny waters for your brown trout and occasional lake trout and stuff like that that's hanging up in there. Um, but those steelhead are up in the rivers. We're fly fishing, spin cast fishing, float fishing, doing all that right now. And we're excited. We're excited for the season to get going. We're excited about the uh, the fishery. We're things are things are looking up. So we're we're ready to go. But yeah, Wolfpack Adventures. We've you know we got a lot of a lot of different hats that we wear. Yeah, you guys are multi-species and uh, also multi-technique. And I know you guys do a lot of the the stream fishing and the river fishing as well. Uh, things obviously going well there. Um, tell us a little bit about, about Sheboygan and what's it like fishing uh, Lake Michigan out of Sheboygan? I tell you what, Lake, uh, out of the Sheboygan port, first off, it's beautiful. You know, the, the old coal piles that were there back in the 80s are no longer there. It is landscaped by uh, tall buildings, beautiful resorts, the shorelines. You have Terry Andre. That is uh, a state park just to the south that have that have all the uh, sand dunes and stuff. And then if you if you travel north, just north of the mouth of the Pigeon River, you have uh, Whistling Straits up there. So it's you know you can go up and you can watch people golf, and you uh, it's a world renowned golf destination, and we get to enjoy that. You know it's about nine miles north of out of the port of Sheboygan which makes Sheboygan extremely unique is it offers an array of different fishing opportunities. You can fish from shoreline. We have a power plant right there that earlier in the season, it's pumping warm water and people can get out there and brown trout and, and uh, you know, fish off of there for that warm water discharge. You also have the piers that is less than a mile away, the South Pier, People cast off of there, and they uh, they start their fishing season a little bit earlier. You have 
north holds great big rocks and boulders and everything else that uh, you know bait fish congregate to. So it holds bait fish longer than um, you know when those bait fish start moving up from the south and they hit that first piece of structure. See out of Sheboygan, you have sand to the south and you have rocks to the north. So it warms up faster to the south. You can get out there and you can do some fishing, but as time as time progresses, you can continue to follow those fish up to the north. But those bait fish, once they hit those rocks that are holding plankton and, and everything else and the algae that are growing on there, that's where those bait fish are gonna stage. They're gonna hang out in there and it offers awesome fishing opportunity. As the season moves on, you know, you can kind of start early, really early in the season. So like right now we are trolling for brown trout. We're in skinny water. When I say skinny water, I'm talking 30 foot or less. So we're real close to the shoreline, that uh, predominant west wind that we usually get. The shoreline breaks it up, offers us really good fishing opportunities on uh, some days that are kind of hairy out there. But we're, we're fishing that shallow water right now. And as time moves on, once uh, late April, May comes through, we're going to have our coho run. You know, there's some years that our coho run is a little better than others. This year, you know, they're stocking cohos out of the Port of Sheboygan. So we're going to have a pretty good coho fishing um, destination for next few years because those cohos are always going to return to where they were stocked. And once you once you start fishing cohos, that transitions right into your into your steelhead or your rainbow trout. And those there, you know, so we go from one extreme to the other. We're fishing extremely shallow water right away. And then a month and a half later, we're out in that 250, 350 foot of water. And we're fishing skinny water again. A lot of a lot of our fish is done in the top. 30 feet but we're we're chasing those dancing rainbows and cohos and and just a really active fish which can be fast and furious at times really exciting um you know if you want tail dancing in fast action june is the time that you want to come it's one of them where it's awesome fishing and then you continue going through and that water starts uh warming up and a lot of the the scum lines or the different uh, temperature breaks start settling down and that lake starts shifting a little bit, that's when we really start targeting kings. You know, I'm not saying that you can't catch a couple kings while you're out rainbow fishing. Sometimes those big kings are, are up there as well. When you get a, you know, 15 pound salmon or a king salmon that hits, you know, that top line, it's really fun. They take off like you're fishing skinny water again. But then, you know, as the as uh, king fishing continues, then we're targeting kind of that ledge. We call it the ledge out of Sheboygan. It goes from 80 to 150 fairly quick. And it's within a couple of miles of our port. So a lot of times you're not traveling, you know, an hour to get your fishing destination. Usually if you're looking for that ledge, you're there within 15 minutes, 20 minutes of travel time. So you're not eating up a lot of your fishing line. There again, um, you know, we're fishing that ledge for your kings and cohos or your steelhead are mixed up within the top. You know, it just kind of offers a, a array of different uh, species. 
and then as the fall transitions we have two actually three lakes we have black or three river systems that come in black river sheboygan river and pigeon river and all three of them those fish will migrate up to spawn so that offers some tremendous shore fishing once you get into the breakwaters again up all the way until you hit the Kohler dam and then we we cap off our season by fly fishing up <laughs> up on the rivers and in spin cast fishing and so Sheboygan, it, it's a destination that you don't only, if you have some people that are in your family that aren't really crazy about fishing, but they are looking for different things to do, Sheboygan is a spot to be. We have a ton of different things to do in town. We have a lot of activities. We have water parks. We have great fishing. So it's just a, uh, it's a premier destination. Very cool, Pat. Uh, for you, those of you watching, if someone's got some questions for Pat, feel free to leave them in the comments. That's the great thing about doing the live thing is that uh, you can ask questions and Pat will be happy to answer them. And the other thing we're going to do, which we do with all of our lives, that uh, if you are chosen as the question of the show, we will be sending you a uh, Fishhawk swag package. So some hats and stickers and whatever else the guys decide to throw in a box for you. So if you want some free Fishhawk swag, start throwing some good questions into the comments and we'll get those to Pat. But uh, we're in April right now, Pat. You guys are, are doing that brown trout fishing. Tell us a little bit about the details of that, how you guys go about targeting browns early in the year out in your neck of the woods. Early in the year like this, a lot of times you don't need all the fancy equipment. You know, a lot of it is going to be straight line, so no no lead core, no nothing. Um, we run a lot of maglips. We run a lot of stinger spoons. We use a, uh, a lot of flutter spoons, you know, the, a lot of thunder sticks, deep diving, shallow diving. You know, there's all the number three J plugs. Um, a lot of times what you're going to do there is you're just going to, you're going to go back old school before the fish hawk was, around you know where you're throwing that lure over the side of the boat you're going to look at it and you're going to go you know you want to wobble wobble flip on the spoons you want um you want to tune those those plugs and those cranks that they're running true they're actually diving the way that you want to and not skipping to the side we do a lot of slide divers and when when i talk about using a lot of this stuff earlier i mentioned that we were 30 foot or less and the reason being is they're looking for that warmer water when that sun this time of year starts hitting that shoreline hitting that sand hitting those big rocks it starts warming up and those browns will get in there and they'll uh they'll look for bait fish and they're you know you're running anywhere from two three to two five you're you're covering some ground a lot of it we're running the um the planter boards you know offshore planter boards and we're we're making sure that we're getting it all the way from the boat. A lot of people will use the kickers to minimize the noise just because of um, being so shallow. You know, a lot of bright colors, a lot of oranges, a lot of greens, a lot of, a lot of I mean, it's, uh, it's brown fishing. And once you start getting into it, you're going to find a pattern that works for you. And there's a lot of people out of Sheboygan. Some will go south and they'll fish off of Terry Andrew. 
Some will go north and they'll fish off the golf course. Pigeon River is not a bad spot to uh, to dump into or, or to stop powering and and troll all the way up. And people, I mean, a lot of people this time of year, you don't have the crowds that you do during the summer months. So, you know, travel isn't that hard. People are usually pretty respectful, get out of the way and all that other stuff. But it can be, it can be fast and furious fishing as well, you know, and you get into some of those big browns early, you know, in that shallow water, and it, it's almost like you have a big king on it. They they bulldog you those big old hook jaws and just beautiful, beautiful fish. Yeah, it doesn't get much more beautiful than a brown trout. Um, but I think one of the things that that when people think of your neck of the woods, your part of the lake, that that people really get excited about is the coho fishing. And that was really kind of what I was interested in talking to you today about was the coho fishing. And when does that that typically kind of really start picking up in the Sheboygan area? Coho fishing is going to be May. You're, you're looking at pretty much, you know, they're going to start south and they're going to work their way up. So we're seeing Port Washington. Those are those are kind of known as the, the coho meccas, if you will. But Sheboygan is no slouch when it comes to Pole fishing, especially this year, we have a lot of, uh, it's been warm. You know, we've been getting some really nice warm days and that water temperature is starting to warm up and those coals, you know, they're going to start coming up. And once you start getting in coals, again, extremely vibrant colors. You're looking at a lot of the really orange. Uh, you're looking at a lot of the, um, bright yellows, the triplot dodgers, we're running some spinning glows behind those triplot dodgers, we're running a lot of flies, you know, you, you look at those and, you know, the old pro spoons, little stinger spoons, the JBs, you know, when you get to that kind of fishing, throw your great big, you know, paddle boards in your pro troll you know, flashers and all that stuff to the side. Because these things, they like it fast. They like it bright. They like, and they, they travel in school. So once you find that um, that little pod, man, beat up on it. Just keep turning on it. Constant figure eights. Find out what they like. If they like fast, go fast. If they like slow, go slow. And when I say a figure eight, when you have your boards out to the side and you turn, the outside boards are going a lot faster than the inside boards because they're going to be dead in the water a little bit because of that turn, the slack in the line, the momentum kind of stops in those fish. You know, sometimes they like it slow, sometimes they like it fast, but there's a lot of a lot of things. Your slide diver may be set five feet from the side of the boat, and that thing just it breaks it when it, you know, the, it's uh, it's awesome. You can. And once you get into those schools of cohos, man, you you can get it. You can get your limit really quick. And you know, there's times where, as a charter boat, it's really nice because you can get out there and you can fill. And not only that, but there isn't a better eating fish than this time of year. That cold water, that real deep red meat in them. Um, we're excited. We're hoping. We're hoping they show up. They're gonna. They're gonna be coming. You know. And Sheboygan is a destination that I don't want to say it's hit or miss, but it can be hit or miss. 
You talked a little bit about uh, the colors. You're like an orange. It seems like that's something I hear a lot, especially you get down to Racine. Those guys all like orange for co-hosts too. But uh, how are you targeting them? What what are you using uh, as far as as far as your 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 entire setup there to uh, to get those co-hosts? Okay, <clears throat> so you are going to have a couple of you know deeper deeper spoons. So you're going to be running those JBs, those Pro Kings, regular profile. I would say 45 foot. A lot of times we're going to be 60 foot or less, you know, early and then continue to move out a little bit. But once you get into the cohos, you're using double lot dodgers and flies on three color. You're using a lot of uh, a lot of slide divers. You're using a lot of stackers or a lot of sliders within your downrigger. So you're running those those downriggers, and then you're running about a uh, five foot lead on top of that just by a swivel to another swivel, just to add an extra line. There's um, there's a lot of, you know, I would do, a lot of times we're not more than a five color lead core. You know, once you start getting up into that seven, nine color, those are predominantly used for kings and stuff, but we're usually using that one color, two color, three color. Uh, if you want on a tadpole coming off of, you know, just a just a flat line. You can do that. You can run little weights off of flat line if you don't have the lead core setups. We're running uh, fish flash, man. We're we're those flashers that are just constantly spinning and throwing different. You know, a lot of it is looking for flash. So cohos are attracted to schools of of bait fish, alewives that when they turn every time they flash. So there's a lot of silvers. There's a lot of, you know, things like that where we'll run a lot of the, the double-hot dodgers and the fish flash and things like that where it just creates a lot of almost like a disco ball down there to bring them in. And once that feeding frenzy starts, it, it's a it's a goal, you know. So you can use your flat lines. We run some maglips up there, slide divers. We use a lot of those anywhere from 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 feet of water. You're going to figure out where that school is. There is no um, written rule on if they're going to be in the top three feet or if they're going to be down 40 feet. There is no standard. You have to you have to do your homework. You have to look at those water temperature breaks. You know, Lake Michigan is a huge, uh, it can vary 10 degrees at times, especially this time of year, within five-foot distance. And that's where... You know, with products like Fishhawk comes in where you can stay on top of them, find out where the currents are, find out what's going on, and it's going to improve your fishing tremendously. At least that's for us. Very cool, Pat. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You you talked earlier in the show about uh, stocking going on in Sheboygan. I know that's a big deal in Wisconsin right now. Wisconsin DNR uh, has increased their stocking this year, and it's one of those things that, that really in a lot of places that's not happening. So uh, what's kind of gone into that decision for the DNR to start uh, putting more fish into the water? Public opinion. You know, it's one of them where there was a lot of hearings. They listened to the people that fish. They, they know that uh, brown trout fishing is a entertaining thing for a lot of the a lot of the people that don't have the opportunity or the means of having the boats to be able to get out on the lake. So when they had their spring hearings or they had a, a multitude of, of different meetings and 
they listen to the public. They listen to what uh, what we were seeing for alewives. They they looked at the three different um, three different years. So I think it's 2000, 2001, or 21 and 22. 2021 and 22, I think they they uh, concluded at 550,000 fish in Lake Michigan. And there's going to be a mixture. There's going to be some brown trout. There's going to be some uh, some rainbow trout. There's going to be some coho salmon, king salmon. They're reducing um, some of the brown trout stocking. I don't know the numbers right off the top of my head, but it's going to offer some tremendous fish in the next few years. Our alewife population is coming down. Um, we're seeing pretty go good schools of alewife still but they say lake wide the schmelt the alewives all that stuff are coming down so what their thing was was it's a put take resource so they put it in for the sports people to take out you know the men women children and it's an entertainment fishing you know way back when they stocked these fish because the alewives were rolling up on the shorelines thinking all the the towns and, and everything else, and they were bringing bulldozers in, scraping the beaches to clean up all the alewives that were dying off because of their lifespan is so short. Well, when they first introduced a, that saltwater fish into Lake Michigan, and it had the success rate that it did, and also the booming population of people that enjoyed that resource and that entertainment aspect of the fishing that was a huge draw. So now you go through and you look at every different tourism along Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, you know, all the way through tourism, the sports people that come to town to fish either on charter boats or personal boat is a huge, um, I guess that is what's making the, the city strive. So when the fishing is terrible, or when the fishing is tough or whatnot, everybody works so many hours nowadays to be able to sort support their family and put food on the table and everything else that when you have that extra means of money, you can go to the store to buy a fish. There is no if, ands, or buts about that. But if you can go and share that memory, share that experience, share that, uh, share it, you know, you share it with your friends, your family, Everybody always asks, why Why would I go charter fishing? Or why would I want to go out on Lake Michigan? Because it's something that if you've never done it, you have to experience it. But we have a fishery, and the DNR now is working to um, maintain that fishery that they have established in the past to uh, make the entertainment flourish, if you will. Very cool. What about you? You talked a little bit about steelhead and some of those steelhead being mixed in with the coho, and that tends to be, you know, where where you get them. Um, as, as the season progresses, how does that steelhead fishing change? Oh man, I love it. Steelhead fishing when you when you're out steelhead fishing and you're running your your boards and you got four, five, six boards on each side. You're running a lot of flat line, you know, the old rattlesnakes I still like. I like maglips. I still like the double lot dodgers on one to three color, five color lead core. Everything is up high. Everything is is uh, tacked down. So we're 
we're running a little hotter than normal. We're finding those those different uh, scum lines, current changes, anything of that sort. A lot of times you'll see them, which what you have is you have two different currents that come together at one area or two different temperatures that come together in one area and everything kind of congregates in that area, being your bugs, being your debris, your garbage, all that stuff comes together. Well, now it's easy pickings for them for them rainbows to come out there and pick those flies off the top. And, you know, you'll all of a sudden see a boil or you'll see them skyrocketing. Half the time when you're fishing, and that fish comes skyrocketing out and it's tail dancing behind the boat and your customers are like, oh, that was cool. Well, I'm not going to watch for that fish. I'm looking at him and I go, oh, where is he? He's here somewhere. Oh, there he is. All of a sudden that rod will double over and he'll take off. And that there, you know, anytime that you get into a really good, you know, rainbow uh, school and you got four, five, six, seven, eight, nine lines going off at once. And it's all in the top, and you know, every it's all hectic, and people are dodging and weaving and bobbing around and making sure that the lines aren't crossed from these fish air jumping. Now, you want to add into the real mix, have a salmon take off right in the middle of all that. Oh man, that first mate on the back deck and the captain sitting there going, Here we go, you know. so Steelhead fishing is probably my favorite just because it is the most entertaining, it is the most fast-paced, it is uh, you're out away from the shoreline, you're seeing everything, you're, you're, you know, there's times where you're out there and storms are rolling through and as a captain you're watching extremely close, but there's been times where it is safer to stay out 18 miles out of Lake Michigan and watch that storm go between you and the shoreline than it is to go through that storm to get back you know so out on lake michigan those storms pop up and that can you know some of the fishing can be really good at that time it's i don't i'm just ready to go fishing to be honest with you chris it's one of them with your those, those fish ah, we were talking earlier you need to come over rainbow fishing with me because we have a blast and actually, it's funny that you bring up that storm thing. The last time I was on Lake Michigan, uh, we were out of two rivers, and that's exactly what we did. A storm came up, and we basically went all the way around it and came back in, and that was the way the trip went. And that was pretty cool because you, you're out there fishing, and you can you can see that storm working between you and the shore, and, and the captain just swung it around, and we came right back in as the storm moved south. So that was, yeah. that was a pretty neat neat deal when we were out there doing that. Um, and, and I think one of the cool things, and this is something I, I, I want to get to, um, before we do that, though, we do have a question. And again, this is an audience question. And if you're watching, feel free to ask some questions. We actually uh, encourage the questions. And what we're going to do is uh, the question of the segment for Pat uh, will get a free Fishhawk swag bag with a hat and some stickers and, again, whatever else uh, they decide to throw in the box there up at uh, Fishhawk headquarters. But uh, we got a question here from Chris Bunda, and he asked, do you feel like everything will be a few weeks early this year due to warm temperatures? Yes and no. So that's a loaded question. And the reason I say it's a loaded question is because every year we think that things are going to get going sooner than it really does, where all of a sudden – you get all wrapped up and you, you you hit the deck and you start going. 
I think it is kind of a maintain throughout the season. That water needs to warm up. And when you're looking at 900 miles long, 60 some miles wide, there's a lot of factors into that. How much snow did we have? We didn't have, we had a lot of snow early, but not late. So then it started warming up a lot faster. I think that we didn't have the amount of rain so far this year. No, I can't look into the future. I don't know what the rain is going to do into the future too much. You know, rain can, can delay things sometimes. I think that we're pretty much on pace, you know, to be honest. Our brown trout right around April, you look back 10, 15 years, you know, we were fishing the brown trout tournament mid-April. Uh, the Bailey's Harbor brown trout tournament's coming up in April. You have, you know, the, the different brown trout tournaments are still on pace, and people are really starting to get going you know, I, I usually start trying to run my brown trout trips no earlier than March 31st. Uh, March 31st, I'll, I'll put the London and we'll, we'll run some brown trout trips out there. And as time goes through, you know, I think we're pretty much on pace. You know, there's going to be some fish there showing up a little bit earlier. But not so much because they're showing up earlier. I think that they're going to be showing up earlier because everybody has that spring fever. They've been cooped up, you know, especially now coming. I don't want to say on the backside of COVID, but now that we have the opportunity to not hide so much if we're going to go outside, if you will. Um, I. It's a loaded question. It'll be interesting, but I don't think it's going to be that early. I think that those fish are are kind of on pace. If there are some fish that are being caught, I think that it's because we're getting out there earlier because we're sick of being cooped up, if that makes any sense. Oh, I can't hear you, Chris. That, that, that makes total sense. I think sometimes, like you say, you know, people um, – you know, kind of create their own truth. And if you're, if you don't typically fish early, then the bite doesn't start early, <laughs> but if you're out right. and you catch them and the, and the bite starts early. Um, I want to ask you kind of some, some other kind of more fun questions, but before we do that, let's talk fishing one more chunk. And that is we talk Kings and I think that's what everybody wants to hear about is Kings. And how do you go about your King fishing out of Sheboygan? What does that look like? What does your program look like when, when you're out there king fishing king fishing off of uh off of our 21 foot lund is no different than king fishing off of our 16 foot sylvan to our 38 foot cosmo um all functionality runs the same when it comes to king fishing you have your downriggers across the back some people run three some people run four some people will run five your downriggers are predominantly in theory from that 50 to 150. That's how you're going to target those. So you got your back set there. And off of your downriggers, a lot of times early you're going to start spoons when those bait fish are still a little bit smaller. As the summer continues and they continue to eat and those bait fish continue to grow, then we're going to start switching over. We're going to start using 
a lot of the pro trolls a lot of the coyotes and you know some of the boards with that that fly lead and you're going to start running a lot of that we run a lot of fish flash out there we run a lot of maglips we run off of our downriggers i would say between downriggers and wire divers that there well and coppers we're all over the place so your boards are your boards or when i say a flash or fly i'm just going to say a flash or fly it may be the uh fish flash with a spoon kind of the same category in my opinion where you have that flash that looks like the the school of the bait fish coming through and then that leg of the 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 prey fish i should say so that it simulates a dying alewife or something trying to catch up on and that predator fish is always going to take the 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 weakest nature runs its course no matter what it is that prey fish is looking for an easy meal it's going to look for something that's lagging behind the rest of the school so i'm going to run my flasher flies i'm going to run my you know my fish flash with a, a small spoon either be a um a pro spoon or a small stinger or any of that sort so i'm not disturbing i'm not disturbing the action of that bait i need something lighter back there that continues to have that flip flip you know there that wobble wobble flip action so you're seeing all sides of that and it, it, it's kind of creating that color once you get off of the back deck where you have your you know your downriggers and a lot of people don't run downriggers on smaller vessels now you got your you know on the inside right next to your downriggers are going to be your wire divers the wire divers adds a different element it adds some vibration into the water you can get down as deep using magnum you know dipsy divers you can get down there dive real deep and majority of the time i would say I'm running anywhere from 85 to 150 on feet on the line counter that is so I'm gonna hit that line counter I'm gonna put them on at like a zero about a one and a half setting I'm gonna go down 85 to that 150 and there again everything depends on the temperature of the water so I'm looking for that feeding temperature that is going to create the best bang for the buck if you will that you're going to see it on your graph where you're going to have fish sitting between that 50 to 80 foot and 150 feet and it's a constant thing well that's because there's either a current change a temperature change something in that water column at that depth is what's causing that and there again we rely on fish hawk every single minute of every single day not only to the fact where the captains watch it i got mates on the back deck tuning in on the app to figure out what is going on because it may change in a half mile let's say we're going and all of a sudden the bite dies and we haven't had a bite in 10 15 minutes something changed those fish aren't just right there there's a reason that they're hanging there either there's a there's a breaking the current there's a temperature whatever the case may be but we're going to spin around on that break again and we're going to hit that area because they're all congregating there maybe that's where the school of fish is but that school of bait fish is sitting in that area for a reason 
So going back, I'm sorry, I get sidetracked. So you got your, your wire divers, and then you got your dipsy divers or your slide divers on top of that. If you're running, I'm just going to go two on a side. Some people do three, you know, but I'm going to do my wire divers on the inside. Then I'm going to go my bigger or my bigger rods, I should say. My outside rods are going to be longer than my inside. And I'm going to run those. Now on my top ones, I'm going to be running spoons. So on those wires, going back to before, a lot of times I'm going to have that flasher fly. I'm going to have that fish flash with the spoon behind it. I'm going to have something that dives. So like a maglip is going to dive or let's say a the 30-track Rapala, the, going back to old school, that's going to dive. So that's where those are. My next rods up are going to have probably eh, – all depends on what your skill level is. Sometimes if you're set at a four and a half on the bottom of that diver, you know, you want the inside at one and a half, the outside a little higher. So it skips out to the side more instead of diving down. And that outside one in 101 with the Mountain Dew Flash Flash has been, that's always going to be on that outside rod. It's just one of them things where I have confidence in that bait on that rod at that depth. So I'm going to run that. I have rods I can play with, but one of them rods is I was going to have a green hollow, and one's going to have a Mountain Dew hollow. Enticer blade, double fin on the backside, and that is what's going to be on my outside divers. Then when you go up, depending on the season again, you're going to start earlier. The top of that water column is going to warm up faster. As the summer continues to go, they're going to slide down. So at first, when I'm going, I'm going to be running that three-color, five-color, seven-color lead cores up on top. That's where I'm going to concentrate on there. If I start seeing a lot more fish going deep, then I'm going to bring out my 200, my 300 coppers. I'm going to run a lot of 10-color lead cores. I'm going to run lead core with tadpoles. I'm going to, you know, and that there, I can't tell you what I'm going to do. Because every day on Lake Michigan is different. Every time I get to that lighthouse, and I look at that lake, and again, you got 900 miles long by 60 miles wide. Where do you start today? Those fish move. And the way that you can start that is by going, okay, I'm going to start back where I started yesterday. Where I finished yesterday and those fish were active, that's where I'm going to start. But with that current, you have a half-mile current, a one-mile current, down 50, 70 foot where those fish are moving. Is that current going to take them away? Are they going to go with the current? Are they going to go into the current? Where are they going to go? And that there, that's why I agreed to come to this is because a lot of a lot of people, they'll, they'll throw a bait over. So you're spending all this money on, here's my deal on the whole thing. You're spending all the money on all the equipment. Your time invested, the, the equipment alone is not cheap. So when you go out there and you're looking at, you know, spending how much money per bait, how much money per flasher, how much money per rod, now all of a sudden you start running the coppers and everything else. But you have one application in the fish hall, one application that will tell you everything that you need to know by the temperature by the depth, by the temperature, you know, the temperature, the speed, everything of that, which 
people that do it every single day rely on relentlessly because it will put and produce more fish in the boat, not only for myself, but clients. There's not a person on that boat wants more fish in that boat than the captain. I can promise you, no matter what you're paying for a charter, that captain, that mate, they want to fish 10 times more than you do because it's a reputation on the line. This is what they do. It's like a carpenter saying he can't hammer a nail. You know, that just, it doesn't work. It, it's just not there. So when it comes to salmon fishing, early in the season, we're fishing up a little bit higher. Later in the season, we're down deeper. If that lake flips, which Lake Michigan does flip a couple times a year, then you start all over again. You're trying to learn how to swing the bat, if you will. You know, you have to, gosh, Michigan, she's, she's just cruel sometimes, but she's very awesome other times. Matt, one of, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is because your personality, and you've let it peek out a few times in this interview, but uh, here's where I want to give you a chance to kind of tell your favorite story. You know, if I was going to give you uh, a few minutes to do a stand-up routine on kind of your favorite uh, favorite uh, moment out on out fishing Lake Michigan, uh, what's what's kind of one of your favorite stories from from being out on the water, whether it's with clients or or uh, or just kind of a a, a fun type of trip? What's a story that somebody says, "Hey, tell me about a, a good time you had in the lake." What are you going to share, Chris? That's not very nice. I mean, you know how many years I've been doing this. Hell, man, favorite time on Lake Michigan. There is no one time that you can really pinpoint, you know, quite honestly. There, there's a time way back when I was still, in, you know, 18 years old, bought my first Thompson with the doghouse. We were up fishing brown trout, and I looked over, and, you know, I've been doing it since I've been really, really little. But I had some friends on the boat that uh, when they looked down, that water was so clear, and I was pointing out the rocks up to the north. They're great big rocks, you know, and it looks like they're three feet under the boat where really they're 15 feet down. And I was like, look at that, look at that boulder. And that's an ongoing joke of, oh, every time we pass a rock, oh, look at that boulder, you know, just jerks. You know, you got that one. Um, <laughs> you, you got the uh, the why I do what I do yet is that person that is, for example, there was a 90-year-old man, and he caught a four-pound rainbow trout. And I, I looked at it, I was like, okay, well, you know, that, that's not, that's a trophy to that man, but it wasn't to me because of what I do every single day. And I'm looking, my expectation of a trophy is a lot higher than this individual's and I mean he started crying and it was the biggest fish of his life and that there they talked about that fish at that man's funeral several years later and you know the family sent me a picture of you know at the funeral where he's holding that fish and that grin was from ear to ear that there will always stick out in my mind as I helped ease that moment at one of the saddest times of that family's life. You know, and that was very special to me. 
another very special time to me was when my my kids, you know, my kids were, I have it in my office here somewhere. I don't even know where to be honest. I, I'm terrible, but you know, I got my, my two older kids holding a rainbow trout, my, my baby little girl that fishes with me everywhere in the country right now with these stupid little glasses on and she's trying to touch a fish. That I can tell you exactly where I was that day out on the way. I can tell you exactly what it bit. I have, you know, I met my wife out on Lake Michigan. She was a client. I know. My bad. I'm, I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty. She, she was a client. So, you know, I met her out there. That body of water will offer as many or memories than you will ever you know, you, you remember the fire drills. You remember the time that you had nine nine fish on at once, and all nine were legitimate fish in all different areas, going all crazy. I remember that. I remember the sunrises coming up and the sunsets and the wind and the storms. And, you know, there's not really – you get excited when that rod buckles and just starts screaming before you see it. You get excited when – the client is excited. I personally, that is what fishing is for me. It's that excitement level. We're entertainment business. You know, if you if you kid yourself and tell everybody or or try to promote yourself as a fishing business along with the other how many hundreds of charter boats or captains or anything else that are on that lake. I have to step back once in a while and not only tell myself, but also tell the family that I work with, you know, being my captains, my mates, everybody else, that we're in this for entertainment. We are in this. Anybody can go to the store to buy a fish. That's not what we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on equipment and on merchandise and everything else. It is much bigger than that. A fish is it's a very small part of the equation that we're really trying to get the answer to. And I'm, I hope I never get the answer. I honestly hope I never get that answer that I'm looking for or I'm not looking for to complete this cycle. Because I'm excited doing every day of species talk I'm excited about all the new technology that's coming out. I am going to be 100% honest with you. My captains and my mates and the people that I am a team member with, a family member with that run those boats every single day that are younger than me and do their research and go through all the if, ands, or buts of the new technology and the different stuff that's coming up, they show us now. They show us the new stuff, and I, I still find myself going back to my 30 tracks, or I've, I've run J-plugs every single trip, or I remember that time where you know, a staple back in the 90s when I was running 100 foot back on a, I'm not talking line counters, I'm talking, you know, I'm, I, I'm actually counting how many level winds on a regular reel am I going back before I set it on the downrigger, 55 down on the red, uh, red nose J plug, the silver J plug had rattles in it with the red nose, that fish took a fish every single trip between nine o'clock and noon. Every single day, that thing was going to go. And why did it go? Because I had the confidence in it. Or maybe because that J-plug is less forgiving 
than the currents and the temperatures and everything else that now we have the capabilities of looking at through the different technology that's out there. This whole, you know, years ago, before the quagua mussels and the zebra mussels and everything else, we were digging those 30 tracks in the mud and bouncing our balls on the bottom with, with the, um, uh, God, flash on their red, uh, evil eyes. We were running evil eyes on the bottom and, and real close to the ball, and we wouldn't have them going up the bottom. So the memories on Lake Michigan is something that can never be taken away from me. And I hope that never stop. But to pinpoint one, I can't, obviously. I rattle on. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was great. And and I uh, really appreciate Pat all the time you spent with us. We're we're going on to over 45 minutes now. I got one more question for you. And hopefully it's it's not maybe it's the hardest question. Maybe it'll be the easiest one. But one of the things that you keep saying is, you know, back then, back here, remember this. Um You've been out on the lake for a long time. Um, tell us a little bit of just how the lake has changed. What is it like? What are some of the things that you can really come to mind and say, it's this now and it was that then? What, what has changed and what's just what's different now than what it was when you got started? Clarity. Clarity, clarity, clarity. Um, I think that the clarity has a tremendous amount of it. We are back when I started, you know, back in, uh, what was it, 90, 91, 92, and I started running for charter boats as a first mate. Um, clarity really wasn't an issue. You know, we were running our, our dipsy divers. We were running our downriggers. We didn't have lead core. We didn't have copper. We didn't have wire. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have the tadpoles. We were throwing wrenches or weights on there to get down a little deeper the, the farther that you went. Um, the clarity now, every everybody is trying to eliminate more than that. So like ourselves, we used to run five downriggers. We're down to three because even the wire or the power pro or whatever whatever you're using for your downrigger line to be able to cut that line while it's still throwing bubbles. When you're going through the water, if you're 150 foot down with five cables coming through the water all at once, it looks like a great big screen of bubbles coming at you. You know, it just doesn't look natural. Where in the past, I think before that water was so clean and so clear that they couldn't see it from so far away. And that's why I think a lot of times, especially if we're fishing shallower water, our outside rods are a lot better because those fish are scooting off to the sides as the boat is coming and then our baits are coming through. Uh, you know, I think that, in my opinion, is the biggest thing that has changed. Your water levels fluctuate year to year depending on where it's at, but if those fish are 100 foot, 50 foot down, I don't think they really care if you're, you know, a foot or three feet shallower or, or deeper. I think that it affects the currents. I really do. Anytime that you have a break, anytime that you have a shoreline, anytime that you have anything, obviously that mass or that energy has to be 
reflected off of that. Um, so it's pushing water back and, it, you know, the, the amount of force that water has is uncanny to nothing. There's, there is no greater force in this, in this nation when it, when it reflects upon that currents. But I think that you guys helped eliminate a lot of that to, to help figure that out. I think that, uh, well, there, those are some of the biggest things I would I would have to say. You know, zebra mussels, quagga mussels, but they've been a lot. They've been around forever. Uh, bait fish, you know, because of the lack of, we have less plankton, so we have less plant growth and everything else. Which the plankton, which then the alewives and the schmelt and all that stuff. So our bait fish, um, you find a school of bait fish. The United School of Bait Fish, because the predator fish are going to find it eventually. All right, Pat, really appreciate, again, you coming on and spending the time with us. Is there something that you wanted to talk about today that I didn't ask you about? Not really. I mean, they can, uh, they can certainly go to Pat Kelmerton Outdoors on Facebook, and they can follow that. They can go to Wolfpack Adventures on Facebook. They can go to our website, see fish reports, pick up the phone, call us. You know, we're, we're not too proud and, you know, too strong to tell you what's going on. We understand. We're all dads, and brothers and mothers and everything else that, you know, if you have time to go out and you have the means to do it on your own, we'll, we'll be happy to help you out any which way that we can. If you have questions on the fish hawk to come up, either the X4, the, you know, X4D, the X2, whatever the case may be, we, we're, we use them all. So it's one of them where if you have questions, by all means, we're here as another source for you to help put more fish in the boat. Well, again, Pat, thanks so much for coming on. If you want to find out more about Pat, we told you where to find him on Facebook. The website is wolfpackadventures.com. And, uh, again, thanks so much for coming on and spending some time with us and, and sharing your knowledge with the audience. Uh, it's really valuable to talk to somebody like you who's been around for a while. Don't want to make you sound like an old guy, but uh, it's good to have you on and, and to share your knowledge with the audience. Yeah, go go to uh, Pat Kelmerton Outdoors. You know, like and like and follow that because we're gonna have a lot of videos yourself. We're talking about going back and forth, and things are just gonna be posted there as well. Awesome! Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com. 